the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, it's Matt Browning. Welcome back to the pod. Thanks for being here. Happy Friday. If you're getting this right on the day, which clearly, if you're subscribed, you'll get this right on the day, which is Friday. We have a really cool interview for you. But first, uh, I want to tell you about my morning. So I'm up this morning at 4.45. And I'll tell you this right now. For a shining moment, for just a moment of my life, I feel kind of exactly like The Rock. Okay, maybe not exactly like The Rock, but I kind of feel like like I got up at rock time. You know what I'm saying? This morning, yeah, it was a little bit crazy. I, I, I've already moved, as you've probably heard. If you listen to any episodes before, if this is your first episode, welcome to the pod. Thank you for being here with me right here, right now. Thank you for inviting me into your life and giving this a shot. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, I've been talking about how I've been moving across the country with my family, and we're getting a little more settled in. For those of you who have been asking, thank you. We don't have a lot of furniture yet because we sold all our stuff in California pretty much. Uh, so if it sounds a little bit echoey, I'm still in the most carpeted and draped uh, room in the house in the basement. Uh, has some some shag carpeting, but no furniture yet. So uh, forgive me with my sound until we really start. Uh, I got some stuff on order to get the podcast studio up and running over in the Midwest. So this morning, I drive three hours across around Lake Michigan to Chicago. Really fun. Actually, sorry, not this morning. That was last night. I stayed over last night. Got up this morning at 4.45, so The Rock got up probably to, to work out and then to do a movie. I got up because I got to go do a morning TV show on Channel 26, so shout out to uh, to The Jam, WCIU, Channel 26 in Chicago. Really cool. It was the third, uh, Chicago's the third largest TV uh, area in the U.S., so, or the, the third largest market, so I got to be part of that. It was really cool. Um, there's Chicago Comic-Con coming up. And I do a really fun TV segment called The Five Superhero Traits Every Leader Must Avoid. And it's a, it's a really fun uh, segment I've done a few times now on TV. And it's a great tie-in for Comic-Con uh, and also a tie-in for my book, The Firebox Principle. So I did that. Um, it was really cool, too. I got to hang out with um, – I met Thomas Ian Nicholas for the first time. You'll know him from uh, from the Rookie of the Year and then, of course, American Pie. He's Tara Reed's boyfriend. Uh, so he's been through all the American Pie um, – uh, movies and it was just fun. So if you go on my Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Matt Browning or M Browning for my profile, either one, you'll see the pics up there of us hanging out this morning. It was a really, really cool time. So shout out to, uh, to Thomas, shout out to John Hansen who interviewed me. He was a phenomenal host, really, really fun. And then shout out to the jam. So thanks guys. So this morning, with all that out of the way, here is uh, what I have for you. A really cool interview. I decided to to change something up just a little bit. And usually I bring on people who are a lot of times in the coaching space. Uh, but I guess I have had all sorts of different people. I just like to look... I like to look at success-minded people and entrepreneurs that have, have a unique point of view. So whether it's Ruben Gonzalez, who's the four-time Olympian, he's in the archives. You can go back and download that and check that out. Or Larry Broughton, who wrote the foreword for my book, and he's a Green Beret uh, veteran and also a hotel entrepreneur, phenomenal human being. And this is no different. I have with me today, or the interview I did a couple days ago, this is for you this Friday, with Joshua Best. Josh Best is the publisher. He owns the publishing company, Unprecedented Press, and they're the ones who, of course, publish my book. So I thought, you know, 
with book launch season going on right now, I thought it was a perfect time to to do this interview. I've been wanting to do an interview with Josh for a while. Uh, he's uh, a really, really interesting young man. I say young. He's a couple years younger than I am. Um, but, you know, he he and his wife, they, they pastor one of the churches that we're a part of. So they pastor a church in Holland, Michigan. So he really does pretty much full-time ministry. But then he also has a whole publishing house uh, and has an, uh, a business doing publishing books. They, uh, they're they relatively new in the last uh, few years. They got uh, 20 titles now under the belt. And uh, he's also, on top of that, though, he's also a really, really keen advertiser. So he works doing uh, art and design for advertising agencies. So the guy has his fingers in all around the pie, not the American pie, just the pie. Um, so we have a great uh, conversation around all that. So you'll find out a few things, like we'll talk about, uh, you know, why he realized that he wanted to be like Mel Gibson. That was a really interesting part. And not all Mel Gibson, but Mel Gibson from What Women Want. And we talk about that. Uh, he graduated from Ontario College of Art and Design, top in his class. So he's a Canadian, moved down to uh, to America. And we talked about the moving across country, what that's like, and, and why you would do that. Um, he's had clients in advertising like uh, Hyundai, Herman Miller, Meyer uh, is the hugest superstore in the Midwest. So it's like the Walmart of, uh, of the Midwest, Myers, uh, Microsoft, Grand Rapids Art Museum, Panasonic, the list goes on. He's a huge award-winning advertiser. He's won, uh, he's won the Addy Awards, nine golds, 10 silvers, and two bronze. So the guy, he's so genius and creative. He actually came up with the name for my book. He came up with the cover design for my book. Um, he helped me through the entire writing process, the editing process. He's an absolute genius. So before we came and landed on Firebox, Josh sent me, as a, as a friend and, and obviously as a publishing partner, he sent me like four and then another four, so eight total uh, kind of basic cover mock-ups with each one with a completely different idea, completely different metaphor. Maybe one day I will talk about some of the other ones that didn't make the cut. But we finally landed on Firebox Principle, and I want to give Josh complete credit for that. It was his idea, and it was phenomenal. So I'm excited to interview Josh. We have a great time. Uh, we're dear friends. We're in church life together. And, of course, we're partners uh, on, on my new book. So I thought it's perfect timing. Sit back, relax, and listen to someone who is faith-filled, but also like entrepreneur-driven. He's just the perfect combination, and he's just going for it and getting it. So Joshua best so here we are dude finally we made it I, I i am so excited so we've been working together non-stop for the last month but really the last year uh you have been the biggest force in getting the book out uh between writing between editing between the publishing uh and now we're on the book tour and everything so i've made it across the country uh, I'm here in Grand. No, we're in Holland, Zealand. Zealand, Michigan, technically. We're in Zealand, Michigan, West Michigan, right next to Lake Michigan, and I'm sitting here in the unprecedented press offices with the owner of Josh Best, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you. <laughs> um, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. So, you you're an interesting case. You came from Canada. So you're Canadian. That's right. Are you officially Canadian? Or are you I am officially, officially Canadian. You're still. officially Canadian yeah. still. All right. So that's yeah. why you're so nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You came from Canada and you're living in Michigan. Uh, we've connected obviously through our church. I've known you for years, but I've yeah. never had a chance to kind of long form sit down with you. So I'm excited about doing that. Yeah, me too. Um, let's start at the beginning. So 
do you have brothers and sisters? I do. Yeah, I have three brothers. Three brothers. Yeah, I'm the second. And no sisters. No sisters. So just four boys. Yeah. What What was life in Canada growing up? You were in Ontario area or Toronto? Yeah, we were a little bit north of Toronto, uh, a city of like seventy five thousand people. Uh, it was great. It was absolutely middle class in every way. Uh, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a nurse. So uh, I think, you know, that kind of, my mom was an artist as well, a painter. So sort of the pastor painter thing kind of brought me to kind of where I am today a little bit with uh, some of the things that I do, I think. Right. Because right now you, you basically split your time between you lead one of the church campuses for the Point Church in Holland. That's right. And then, of course, you own the publishing company, Unprecedented Press, and doing all the creative work. Yep. It's fascinating. So was your dad a full-time pastor? He was, yeah. Mm -hmm. He actually still is, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So when you were growing up, did you ever think, like, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Yeah. Did you think you were going to be a pastor? I didn't know. No, I didn't think so. Um, That was sort of just God led me into it, you know. Uh, That wasn't sort of like, hey, I really want to be a pastor like my dad. Actually, I'm third generation pastor. Wow. Um, But uh, I just, I was always the art kid in school. And so people would always, you know, come to me to draw them that picture of a T-Rex or, you know, or a abominable snowman or something, (laughs) you know, whatever it is they wanted a, a drawing of, that was me. How young did you start drawing? Oh, like really Really like early as long on, as you can yeah. My mom was like crazy into art. That was her hobby, and uh, she's actually really talented. But uh, it kind of got me into it. My whole, all my brothers were too. We were kind of art kids. Wow. And uh, I just, I just knew in high school I didn't want to be an art teacher or an artist because I didn't want to be poor. <laughs> so <laughs> no I had to figure starving out artist. Yeah, that's right. Did any of your brothers go into art as a profession? My, I have one brother who's a ph- photographer. Okay. Um, in Toronto. And he does uh, a great job. He's really talented. And uh, the other two, are, are they are creative in different ways. So um, they're actually both good at drawing as well, but um, they didn't go into it as a field. I have one brother who's a cop uh, and one who is in real estate. So Drastically different, I would think. Yeah, but they both do woodworking and all that kind of creative stuff. So, so what about your mom then? So she was it was always a hobby. So yeah. you got the creative genes, mm-hmm. but she... Um, she would do. She did nursing full time. How long was she a nurse? She was a nurse for oh, a long time, like my whole childhood. It's she would work thing. like, yeah. I remember when I was a kid. You know, all my dad would get all four of us packed up in the van to go pick up my mom at you know six thirty in the morning after a twelve hour night shift. Wow. Yeah, and she worked in labor and delivery. So all you know, my dad's at home with the four boys, and my mom's out delivering babies all night. How was that? It was crazy. Nice. Yeah. Who are you closer to? Would you say? My mom or my dad? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I know. I, I, feel, I don't know. I think I'm pretty close with both of them. Would you say in different ways? Yeah, different ways. Mm-hmm. For sure. I like that. That's really cool. And yeah. then, um, and I think you were just talking to your brother, right? Yeah, I was just, just talking to my brother. He's yeah. on the way down to visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's cool. my older brother. Yeah. I love it. So you get to. So you're you're still close and you're still connected with the whole family. Yeah, we are. Yeah, that's phenomenal. We need to probably do better at it. Get together more often, but. We are still close, yeah. Well, you moved countries, so I want to talk I about know, that. I know. It's probably my fault. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you moved across uh, to the United States? Yeah, well, I, was, I moved here about nine years ago. Um, originally, I came down here for to do a, a program at our church, The Point, called uh, The Rev Team. It wasn't called The Rev Team when I was on it, but it was back in 2001. No, wait, 2003. 2003. That's right, yeah. So you came across to the U.S., to, mm-hmm. to Michigan, to go do this church yeah. program. After for high like, school. For a year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one year. It was I think it was nine, no, actually it was 10 months when we were doing it. Okay. So I was here for 
you know, the better part of a year, uh, totally transformed my life, Cha- just changed me, uh, because I had never been in an environment where people challenged me in such a good way. Right. You know, to have t- people push on you and, and, uh, say, you know, you've got more in you than what you know. I think it just got me a taste of something awesome. And then after that, it was like, all right, it's college time. Let's move on. Did you guys do gap years in Canada regularly, like like in the UK? Like uh, the year some people high do. Yeah, some people will. Was they your, don't know what to do. Was that your plan then, or that was what you were doing? To be totally honest with you, mine came from this total faith perspective where I was just like, I want to go to university, but I honestly feel like I need a stronger foundation in how to um, share my faith. And so, uh, for me, I decided to go on the rev team, which was the gap team at the time, um, because I wanted to be equipped to be able to be used by God when I was in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so that was actually a, a, a prereq, a prereq for you in a way. Totally. To the co- okay. That's cool. Yeah. It was like a, an advanced decision. So you went back, so then you came back a year later and you went to the Ontario College of Art and Design. Yeah, that's I right. You graduated top in your class there. What was the thought of, did you, did you want to get into graphic art? Did you want to go to advertising like you did? Or did you know what you were going to do and you just knew that it was something creative? What, what was the thought going into school? Yeah, this is a, kind of a weird story, but um, when I was in we high like school. like weird here. Yeah, great. We love it. Awesome. I think uh, I discovered the graphic art thing in high school because I went and did the yearbook team, the yearbook pro okay. uh, class, right? And so I became the design editor of the yearbook because I was the art guy. And uh, I th- started to learn how to use the tools at that time in high school. And then I became the editor-in-chief of the yearbook. And then I was publishing and doing all this kind of stuff, which is I weird foreshadowing. I about you. Yeah, weird wow. foreshadowing. So you were editor-in-chief of your high school yearbook. Yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> weird, huh? Um, Not really. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I guess I didn't even know those existed. So once I found them, I was like, this is great. And then I saw this movie way back called, uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but it was called what? 16 Candles? <laughs> no. <laughs> not Changed as, my life. Not quite as bad as that, but still bad. Uh, it was called What Women Want. It's a, a movie with Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt, yeah. What a terrible movie. I know, yeah. yeah. Um, but when I saw it, I was like, I, th- he worked at an ad agency. Right. And I didn't even know that was a job. And so when he was up there and they were developing this ad campaign and he's pitching for Nike, I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And I learned they have an art department. I'm like, this is this is what I want to do uh, because it just uses all those, you know, gifts and, and things that God's put in me and all those kinds of like desires. It's like, oh, I want to do that. You know, wow. I want to help, you know, stir people up and inspire them and stuff like that. So, and not be poor. <laughs> and also not be poor because yeah, ad exactly. agencies can make pretty good money. Yeah, they yeah, can. Huge yeah. contrast. Mm-hmm. So you, so you, was that, you figured that out in the middle of college? No, I figured that out in the middle of high school. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So gotcha. I knew what I was doing when I went to college. So I, you went I, to college to mm-hmm. be Mel Gibson. Yeah. I didn't even go into the graphic design program. I went straight into the advertising program. Wow. So uh, it was all about um, conceptualizing advertising campaigns for TV, for magazine, online, all that stuff. I love that. Yeah. So you, so then you went to school doing that, and you just got to work. Now this is back in Ontario. Yeah. Right in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you met your wife April at that point? Yeah. So we actually met at a church conference when we were in high school. 
Oh my gosh. Yes, that's at. Uh, I think we met when we were fifteen. Oh, I feel or like fourteen. I, I feel like I knew that, but they don't know that. So no, let's they talk don't. about it. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, we um, we started dating at sixteen, so we've been together since two thousand and one. Wow. Uh, what is it now? Two thousand eighteen. So seventeen years. We've been together longer than we haven't. That is so sweet. It's crazy, right? How, you're thirty three now. Is that yeah, right? 33. As we record this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. Uh, what is that like? Hang on a second. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. What is that like? Looking at your wife three kids mm. and saying we've been together now longer than we haven't in my entire life like she is the biggest part of your whole life as people go what the heck is that like because i don't have that so i met lola 10 sure. years ago right um and i'm 38 now so i've yeah. been not with her 28 years with right. her 10 years right yeah right yeah. big part of my life really important <laughs> right, right? Yeah. it's everything yeah. right now mm-hmm. um but what is that like like i i can't even i've i had such a different uh, experience relationships sure. and growing up and everything than you, but I love that story. I feel like it's just so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It 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 was great. It is great. Uh, we dated for four years uh, after we started dating and before we got married, but we were young. Like we got married at twenty. I was gonna say I hope you did yeah. for at least four years. Yeah, I know. 16. Right? I know. Um, but it's it's actually really cool. Uh, like I think we're just we just. We operate really well together. We're best friends, you know, and uh, I think that it doesn't really matter. I think at this point what life throws at you, you just know you're going to be together. We said this one thing when we when we made our vows to each other that that it doesn't matter where in the world we go, wherever, when, as long as we're with each other, we're at home. Mm. But that's home. Um, so whether it's Zealand, Michigan or Toronto, Ontario or, you know, Indonesia or wherever. Or whatever's next. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. cool. Yeah. So uh, April's obviously a, a phenomenal woman. Uh, we totally. know her real well. Um, and kind of a congratulations. I've already told you personally, but the new baby. Yeah. Hugo, how old is Hugo now? He's actually nine months today. Oh, okay. Not so new anymore. Yeah, I know. But you know, he had his nine month checkup as well today. Yeah. He is 29 inches long. 29 and a half. He is in the 91st percentile. This guy is, we don't call him Hugo. Sometimes I shouldn't put this on the record. April, I feel like April you doesn't should. like it when I call I feel him like this, you should. sometimes I call him Hugo <laughs> because he's so huge. He's such a chunky he's baby. He's a great dude. Um, he's so happy too. But uh, anyway. You have, you have some awesome kids, man. Yeah, and they're all miracle kids too, which is great. Miracle kids? Yeah. I mean. Uh, all, is there a story? Yeah, there's a story behind every one of them. Just uh, the first two were both emergencies. One was an emergency C-section. Uh, the second one, uh, she didn't breathe for six minutes when she was born Oh my gosh. and God's hand just came in and saved her life. It was amazing. Um, after the whole church office started praying and, and just an amazing miracle. And then the third one was a miracle because we were, uh, dead set against having another baby and because we were afraid. And so it was a miracle of faith. Wow. Because we were able to have faith that the Lord would take care of them again wow. after two emergencies. Yeah. And I don't know what that feeling would be like, but I, I, whew, I can only imagine. You know, I remember when when Val was being born, we had tried to have him at home for like forty eight hours, fifty hours actually, right? Two full days, and then finally it wasn't going to happen. So we go to the hospital. I'm like, all right, it's going to be a minute. I wasn't ready for it, but I ran home to go get like a bag and stuff. And then I get a call from Lola's friend who was at the hospital saying, Hey, now they want to do a C-section. Now they want this. Now the heart rate, you know, like get back here. And I'm like, I remember that drive. Yeah. 9,500 miles an hour back to the hospital. Um, 
it, but it nothing else matters at that point, right? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. But I, I can't imagine having like even more because that wasn't the emergency; it was more of an urgency. Yeah. But uh, but to go through with baby Hugo, he was worth it. Yeah, totally. That's so and cool. that was the easiest birth experience ever. Like, well, I shouldn't say that it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, April April's gonna be upset about. Oh that. my gosh, it was so easy. Yeah, I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> easy for me to say. Yeah. Uh, no, but it did happen in about an hour and forty-five minutes. Wow, it was pretty quick. Ready yeah. to rock. Yeah. So your family guy, your church pastor. When did you st- When did you start stepping? Let's kind of get the time frame here. So, because um, I, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of people that relate to you early on. You discover a calling. And your calling is, I'm going to be Mel Gibson in What Women Want. <laughs> I didn't phrase it like that in Basically, my own head. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Or Mad Men. Yeah, Had right. you seen Mad Men yet? It wasn't out at the time, but yeah. It wasn't out yet. If it had been, that would have been it. Right? Yeah. So you're like, but basically, hey, I want to be this guy that does the, the art yeah. in, in advertising. I'm yeah. going to go uh, accomplish this. And you yeah. got your, so you're with April. Not married yet then. Yeah. Right? Because you're going to college 19, 20. You're almost married. Yeah. Now you're like, okay, I'm going we got married after our first year. Okay. So you're going to college. Yeah. You get married. Um, family guy. Did you, when did you know that you were going to start being pastoral? Mm-hmm. Or were you always pastoral? Or did you ever have like a dream of, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to lead a church one day or I'm going to have a ministry. I'm doing this in the meantime. Or was it, hey, this is what I'm doing in advertising and I always want to be doing something for God too. Kind of what was, walk me through the thought process yeah. and the emotional uh, decision-making for what life looks like at 20. You're right. So at, t- at 20, yeah, I'm in college. Yeah, we just got married. And uh, yeah, pastoring wasn't really on my radar. I mean, we were going to a small um, church plant in Toronto. And I think that for me, it's always been, uh, in terms of church life and serving the Lord, it's been like um, more just about doing what he asked me to do mm-hmm. and not really having any ambition in that world. Um, because actually, to be honest, have, being a third generation pastor, uh, it's actually made me um, inclined more the other way where I almost didn't want to do it. Really? Yeah. And so the Lord's had to, as I've been walking with him, uh, he continues to like speak to me about try this or, or, you know, you know, lead me in one direction or the other. And, uh, I, I think that he's led me in that direction. Um, sometimes, uh, it's taken a while for him to get me there. Like he's, it's almost like, I feel like he's been pulling my teeth sometimes. Like, come on, I need, and I will need you here. I want you to do this. Right. And, uh, not that he ever needs us, but that, you know, he would call me to do it and want me to do it. Um, and I'd be like, okay, Lord, and I'd have to lay things down for him. Right. And, and, uh, it's always been great. Um, and so, yeah. When so you I, follow the calling and having to lay things down, it's exactly. always been, you know what? I will lay down that burden that exactly. I'm kind of done with anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I just never wanted to assume that I would have a position like that because I knew it was a calling. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go into it if it wasn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, I'm having a backup plan. Well, not even a backup plan. It's like plan A. And then if God wants me to do this other thing, it's going to be plan B. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, right. I'll let him take the... You know, I'll put my stuff down if he, if I, you know, he wants me to. That makes sense, and I, I think that's a that's a really, it's a really mature disposition too, right? That 
you're not going to say, hey, this is what I want to do, so I'm just going to go abandon everything and do it. Right. But you're also not like, oh, I, I, I'm called for a ministry, and I'm only six years old, so yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to go do – you don't know what he's going to do. Right. And I love that. And I think you know, if, if anyone you know is listening that, that has a life of faith and whatever that faith is – um, it's an interesting walk and I've been having this conversation a lot, you know, like remember we were, um, when we were in Utah together, one of the questions I asked Kirk Cameron when we were speaking to the book launch was you had this, per- you had this big entertainment business essentially, right? He was in the entertainment world. And from my yeah. perspective, watching him from the outside in, he made a decision to leave that and go only do Christian work. And I said, how did you do that? What was the process? Because I think for a lot of us, it's like, well, do I do faith work? Do I do right. regular work? Yeah. Do they combine? Do I lay one down, do the other? What's the right thing? And so what he said, I think I shared that with you, did I? I'm not sure, actually. It sounds, it sounds new, so keep going. Okay, good. This will be yeah. good. So what he said was really interesting. He said, I didn't choose it. Like, I didn't choose to lay down growing pains and all the, the, that work and only do Christian stuff. He said, what I did is people, I made who I was pretty clear, right? He's, he shared who he was, and then he had people approaching him for projects and things, and he said yes to the things that excited him, and that was it. He said, wow. I just – so he said, I never made a decision that I'm only going to do this. It's just the things that have excited me have usually been in the genre. So I've done other things, but that's what I'm really passionate about. So I just – that's kind of what ended up happening. That's really cool. And then someone else saw him in, you know, um, in whatever movie he did, Fireproof or something. Yeah. And they said, hey, you know, you'd be perfect for Left Behind. I'm right. not sure which one was in what order, but you know what I mean? It was yep. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of hear the same thing from you, though, right? It's like you're going after the advertising, the creativity that's inside you. But at the same time, you're always ready to follow the calling. And if it if you go deeper into it, great. If you have to lay it down, great. Um, so I love that. It's like, what what spiritual maturity? I think you have it, and I think that that's, I think that's the best way to approach this stuff because it's not about personal ambition at that point, mm-hmm. and you're being flexible in case in case you feel led to do something for for God or for, you know, what's in your heart. Um, and I think presenting that flexibility is just the best because it, it you can honor people but not uh, be a burden on them. Right. You know? And you know what else is cool too, I think? See if you relate to this. You also will never find yourself in a position where you feel stuck and you feel totally. like, oh, what happened to my life? Now right. I'm stuck doing this thing. Yeah. Because it's really a question of, well, if God wants me to, then I should do it. Yeah. And I feel happy about that. And if he doesn't want me to then why am I still doing this? It's almost like you, in a funny way, it's like you take more control of your life again. Um, And that's just me observing from the outside, looking at you and your life. Like you're pretty much set up where you're doing what you want. You're sitting here in this cool office with all your, you know, 20 plus titles of published authors that you've helped them get their message and their stories out. Yeah. Um, Like it's really cool. And then you're you're being able to pastor and lead the church and love people. And it's a lot, I'm sure. Is it a pretty full life? It is, and I have to be really careful not to um, overcommit to certain things or projects. When, when one, you know, if church is is busy in a season, I have to be careful. Or if, you know, even in, uh, I still do some freelance advertising work for people, and so if that, you know, becomes too big, I have to be careful with my other things. And so it does require some balance. But you know, I was just thinking this even when um, I was driving. Uh, out in Utah with you and uh, hauling your books across the country. Yeah, come on. Um, <laughs> it was heavy great. books, man. Yeah, I know. They're heavy. Um, 
especially when you when they're hardcover with the beautiful dust jacket. You so guys beautiful. Twenty two ninety five. Anyway, um. yeah, they're available at fireboxbook.com. We'd be remiss not to say that yeah. fireboxbook.com. You can pick up a new title. It's still in launch phase, so you yeah. still get all the bonuses with it. Right. Right. So Absolutely. that's just a good segue to do that. So let's do that. Um, so if you get the book at fireboxbook.com, you'll get uh, an online training value at $9.97. I'm doing a live no-sales uh, web training coming up later in the month. Uh, you get two tickets to my Influence NLP event, three-day event in Orange County, California. You can get tickets to that. What's the third one you get? Remember? Uh, I wish I had the sheet with me. I wish I had the sheet, too. I'm this sorry. is so spontaneous. I know. I have one over there somewhere, but... And then, of course, it's the online speaker training that goes alongside the Influence Workshop. Right, so yep. it's the Influence Online Course. So you get all that. It's like thousands of dollars worth of, of bonuses, and you get it for hardcover price, twenty two ninety five, and it gets shipped right to your house. How cool is that? It's a pretty good deal. It is good. All right, moving back to you. So you hauled all the, the books across the country. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was uh, – so I was, um, I was you were thinking. driving. Yeah, and, and I'm, I had this – a couple moments on the drive where I'm just like – it almost just hit me. I'm like – this is really fun. Like I just helped this great guy with a great message. Uh, so I'm feeling good about myself. You're talking about me? Yeah, I'm talking about you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thinking I got to do something I love, which is like launch a product. I got to do the artwork on it and design it and be part of that. I got to do, you know, I got to write some marketing copy for you and things like that. And, uh, all these things that I love. And now I'm traveling across the country and I love that too. And so, um, I don't know. I think there are moments where you kind of just sit back and you look, you have to, you have to have a moment of gratitude and just say, this is really cool. I get to do this stuff, you know? And, and even all the challenges that, you know, you have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, right? So it is called the purpose driven entrepreneur. (laughs) Exactly. So let me just say this. I think, you know, wherever you're at, if I can speak straight to the listener, uh, Break the fourth wall. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. There's no fourth audio wall. Sure. This uh, is Josh to you right here, right now. I think that wherever you're at in your endeavor, you know, there's always something more to do, right? We're always looking to the next thing to build, the next thing that needs to be added to the project we're on. So it doesn't matter the size of your initiative. You're gonna always going to be looking to the next thing, right, as an entrepreneur. But I think that that, inherently almost leads us to a place of dissatisfaction sometimes. Hmm. And so I think we have to be careful to take stock of where we are and to look back and say, you know what? Two years ago, I would have died to be in the position I'm in now. Right. I got to be so grateful for this. Right. And almost to like put on that hat of two years ago version of you and say, Oh, I'm really happy. I'm here. If you know what I mean. Is that it? <laughs> that's it. Sorry, that's, that's all your, I got. Yeah. That's the end of your that's thought. the end of my rant, yeah. All right. All right. I was giving you a second. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so let, let's, talk about, let's talk about the publishing biz. Sure. So you have an interesting business model, which is more of a partnership model. That's how I describe it. A co-op or a partnership model where rather than being a big publisher and they get five cents a book or rather than being what a lot of houses nowadays, publishing houses have turned into like a self-publishing um, know, puppy mill almost. Yeah, I would they call, call those vanity presses. Vanity presses, yeah. right? So you you basically pay them a big fee, and then they do the work. Puppy mill. Oh god. Yeah, you just got that. Sorry. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but it's kind of that thing where it's like you have this author, and they don't really do anything as far as guidance, mm-hmm. right, or partnering. They just okay, we have we'll, we'll edit it and we'll yeah. do 
do a, a cover for you and we'll do this, we'll do that. And yeah. it's five grand or whatever the fee is. Um, and then at the end of that, then you basically have a book that you self-published and they do nothing. What, what inspired you to come up with, describe the partnership model, the idea, sure. and then what inspired you to come up with a new way to do publishing and quite honestly, uh, an industry that has been overrun, right? I feel like there's, there's no lack of, of uh, self publishers or publishers out there. Mm -hmm. So two things. Yeah. So describe how it works and then what inspired you to get into that game? Yeah, I think, um, it happened because, uh, I had an idea for a book really. And so I, I was, I have this little, um, bug inside of my blood, which is, uh, the need to produce whatever, uh, whatever ideas I come up with. So every once in a while, uh, I'll have this idea and I'll think, Okay, well, I have this idea. I really am excited about it. I can't stop thinking about it. If I don't create it, I'm going to die. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're like, I have to produce this. Well, that's why we have that book together. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And uh, so I was in that place, and I had this idea to write this book. It was when we were pregnant with our first uh, child. Uh, I should say my wife was pregnant. Some people get annoyed when they say we were pregnant. Oh um, my gosh! Yeah, so I think I, I feel like you can say we. Can you say we? Just you can't say I when I, I was pregnant. Yeah, you can't say I because yeah. you're a guy. But <laughs> I, I feel like there is something special about that, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. We were pregnant because that's responsibility and that's love and that's sharing burden. Even though you can't carry the baby, I'll you, take that. You would if you could, right? I'll take that. All right, we'll go with we. Yeah. So I had this idea um, because we we were uh, we were going in for the class. Did you ever do the class where you have to learn about you know being a new parent? Oh yeah, yeah, we did the class. Usually the hospital puts it on or something like that. And uh, we're in the class, and we, it was once a week. And I'm going in there, and and I go in there, and the first week they they told us about how important it was to exercise. Uh, is this this podcast have a rating system? I don't want to say things I shouldn't say. Is it, do I have to be super clean here, or can I say like, uh, can I say body parts? Uh, you can say body parts. Okay, yeah. body parts are going to be happening here. Ready? Yeah, that's okay. So they're like, you have to, you have to exercise your genital floor. <laughs> they're like your vaginal floor has to be very healthy before you have a baby obviously and, you right. gotta work your vaginal and so floor. right exactly <laughs> and i'm sitting there i'm like what's is? happening right now i didn't know any of this stuff and i'm feeling awkward and then they're like te teaching us how to do kegels and they're like the men should be doing kegels too and they're like let's all practice together <laughs> and so there's 12 people in a room sitting together all exercising their floor and trying not to look each other in the eye and I walked out of there, and I'm like, that was just shocking and brutal. And I thought, oh, that next week is going to be a lot better. And then I went there next week, and they started talking about something else that blew my mind. And every week I walked out of there, I was like, every week this is going to happen. There must be one shocking fact about pregnancy or birth for every week of pregnancy. And there's 40 weeks of pregnancy. So I was like, oh, that is a book idea. What a great title. So this, this is your first book, right? This is my first book, yeah. 40 Shocking Facts for 40 Weeks of Pregnancy. And you did Volume 1 and then Volume 2. Yeah, Volume 1 is Disturbing Details About Childbearing and Birth. And Volume 2 is Terrible Truths. Terrifying Truths. Terrifying about, Truths. I got right, the book yeah. in my hand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, terrifying Truths About Babies and Breastfeeding. So, yeah. So Volume one is before the baby comes. Volume two is after the you baby comes. You got it. Yeah, I love that. They're all the Are all you, the things that your mama wouldn't tell you because she's too embarrassed. <laughs> She'd blush if she told you. You might tell her daughter, but she's not going to tell her son. Right. You know. So anyway, I, I was like, I had this idea for this book, and I was like, I have to write this book. 
And so I ended up uh, starting it and actually wrote it when we had our baby. I am bouncing the baby to sleep and I'm writing the book with my other hand on the notes on my iPhone. Really? Yeah. And so I uh, got the book done. And I was like, I got to figure out how to get it out there. But the problem is with the publishing industry, and this is, I guess, answering your question, um, is that uh, if you're going to get published by a traditional publisher, mm-hmm. uh you it, it's just so difficult you have basically have to be famous nowadays right that's you exactly have, right they're not going to pick you up unless you have a following of hundreds or thousands of people already well definitely in the hundreds thousands of people hundreds of thousands uh, probably yeah exactly like they they really want to make these bets you know <laughs> yeah I'm just looking at the pictures in the book they're so funny some of the people i know yeah uh that's great we did this photo shoot for the book of of parents with their with their kids and they're just screaming because and the parents are going because ah! they're so shocked. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I think that the uh, the ceiling is so high, you know. And then if you want to use one of these vanity presses, some these packages, you know, I mean, they range uh, probably from three thousand to fifteen thousand dollars. And yeah. uh, some of the packages, I, I saw one last week. It was like seven thousand dollars, and it included ten copies of your book. For how much? Seven grand. Wow. And it's like, so, oh my god! So your gosh. option is you pay seven grand, you get ten copies of your book, right? And then you're on your own, right? So you either have to be famous or rich. And it's like I wasn't either. I was like, that's new parent. well said. And I was like, how is anybody else supposed to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're used to you know being a writer, an author, as being a paid gig. So having to pay so much money to get a book done feels weird to people, right? Because it it is like I feel like from my side the industry has changed so much that everyone in my world says oh yeah like you don't make any money from a book you don't try to sell your books it's you know you do it as cheap and as lame as possible and that's what i see a lot right Right. a lot of the books out there perhaps yeah literally and then you have the book so then you can go do your speaking gigs or whatever and you just print it yourself but yeah the problem is also i see the quality went down drastically totally you know yeah i think you're right i think with a lot of the self-publishing tools the quality went way down because you you can just cut corners and have anybody help you with it. Um, yeah. Well, in a way, it's almost like, you know, look at as we get more and more um, self-created content, like for YouTube and things like that, yeah. and Facebook videos, mm-hmm. um, you know, just look at the quality of, of how of how good a, a network show is or a BBC show like Sherlock or something. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, well, I can produce my own show. Right. And put yeah. it, you, like by nature, you're going to have a lower quality because yeah. there's not the same budget and people just don't care as much. Right. Or they know? just don't know. That's a lot of self-published books. People who are like, I'm going to do this on my own. They step out there. They don't know that it's bad. Right. And that's the problem, right? This, it's out there and they think it's good and it's not. And so it's not industry standard, but they don't have the eye for it. They don't. They can't tell. I I, I completely agree. We were sitting there um, side by side in Utah watching different uh, like PowerPoints and things, and you can always tell when someone did it themselves, right? And you can tell when they had it created. Yeah. And but but it's the same for books, right? Like I'm looking here. I'm sitting in your office looking at every book that you've done, and you know whether is this a child's book? Yep. That's so cool. So whether it's a kid's book. Uh, what's this called? Merbles? Merbles, yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, isn't that cool? So, you know, like I look at that and go, oh, this looks like a, ch- a children's book from the front to the back to the fonts to everything. It looks like it's just a children's book at Barnes & Noble. You know, it's really obvious. And and then, you know, your book and, and She Can Laugh, Melissa Hughes, and, and my book, like every one of them, they look like 
books. Yeah. And I think we take it for granted. I don't know if you take it for granted or not being so good, but, but the books that I see out in the speaking world, so many of them, again, you just know someone got like a book cover template and they just kind of did it up. Yeah. Um, my first book was like that. If you look at my original first cover, it was horrendous, mm. but I did it myself. You have so, a better cover for it now, though. I do. Yeah. I do. Because somebody did that. Right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't a publisher, and it should have been. So we might redo it at one point. Uh, the point of that, though, is coming back to your structure. So so what's the what's the structure layout now? How does Unprecedented mm-hmm. Press work? Um, and what do you think is the future for publishing? Because obviously you're doing it. Yeah. I'd say our biggest passion is just to help people get their stuff out there because that's part of what I believe in is that inside of every person, you know, God's given ideas. And I I think those ideas come from a special, even divine place, right? Sure. And so, um, you know, I once heard this person say, uh, never go to the grave with your song still in you. Right. I think that's part of our mission is like to help everybody get out what's in them, right? And I think it's poor stewardship if you leave that stuff in there. So... Um, we basically try to help people get their stuff out. So we have two, well, we have one program called author up and that's a program where, um, we basically take that vanity press model. We break it down and it becomes a absolutely an a la carte menu so that you don't have to pay for a $10,000 package just to get some help on your book. Right. Uh, but whatever you need, we can help you out for an affordable rate because we want to help you get your stuff out there. Now in that position you're still publishing your book self-publishing but you can get some good design you can get some good editing you know some uh proofreading whatever it is you need even um consulting and coaching on self-publishing we can help you with that then you know beyond that that's really so we can help everybody but beyond that that we have a partnership model sorry go ahead so just to to comment on that because like you said a lot of them they don't do that it's more like sweet we got a 10k client Right. Right. That's kind of the mentality. They totally. have the 5K and the 10K package or something. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to sell $10,000 uh, book publishing packages. Yeah. So for you, if you were going to do the legit straight up self-publishing, it's look, where are you and what do you need professional help with? Right. It, it, do, you, do you come across people that maybe like they really are good writers, but they're going to need help with the cover or maybe a, an artist like yourself. Yeah, right, totally. That's really good with graphics and they have th- that idea, but they're going to need some proofreading. Yeah. And they can just pick whatever they need. Exactly. So that's brilliant. So if you're in the middle of writing a book and you're listening to this and you've been stalling for more than, let's say, six months, more than six months, go to the show notes, go to Unprecedented Press. What's the website? Is it unprecedentedpress.com? That's right. I would assume. Yep. Or you can find Josh at social media at? At Joshua David Best on Instagram or at Joshua Best on Twitter. Joshua David Best on Instagram yep. and Joshua Best on Twitter? Yep. Nice. Are you on Facebook or are you too, you too young for that? Uh, no, I'm on Facebook too, but uh, you could probably go to Unprecedented Press on each of those as well. So on Instagram, we're at Unprecedented Press, and oh. we're Unprecedented Press on Facebook too. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so we'll make sure we put all the uh, all the social media links in the show notes so you can catch up and follow up. Ask questions too. Yeah. Like he's a regular old guy. He's. I'll bet you if you send a message, he'll probably res- respond. Yeah. And that would be really good. All right, so your second model, the partnership model, which is yeah. what we went into together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the partnership model I think is the most special part of, of unprecedented press because uh, what we like to do is we like to um, basically we're, we're providing a uh, traditional publishing deal um, where we are basically business partners. Yep. Um, now we're not able to always provide an advance for people uh, and, but we, it's kind of this mix of a traditional and a self publishing deal where you get to have a partner 
who is qualified and professional. And we actually have a network. And I say sometimes that we're a publishing collective because we bring on editors, proofreaders, designers, uh, cover artists, and things like that. And we basically, we all work on your project together. And uh, like I said, although we're not able to pay out advances all the time, what we do is the way we work it is sometimes the author will pay the cost and we will invest our time and our skill into the book. So you're not paying us um, for our time or for really you're not paying for us for anything. Um, but the author pays for just the cost of printing books. Right. And so we are basically invested in the book. And so and in the book success. In the book success. So, you know, whenever we make a sale, that's us getting paid. And so we have a vested interest in your book. And I think that's a, a great way to do it because then, you know, it's not just like churn and burn these these books. It's it's we want them to succeed. I love that. And and, and it does. It's it's probably not the most advantageous for a company. Meaning you could make more money if you just went for, hey, let me find a bunch of self-publishing authors and rake them over the coals. Totally, right? yeah. Um, but I love, so you're doing this collective model where you have an editor, you have a proofreader, you have a cover designer, you have the, the publishing house, you have all that. Every, and the author, I would almost say, all of them coming in together and partnering to each do their part. That's right, yeah. And then when you sell a book, there's royalties that go out. So you don't just collect most of the royalties. Um, there's percentages that go yep. to the different contributors that's for right. the books. Is that yep. right? Exactly. I love that. Yeah. And I don't know anyone else that's really doing that. I've, I've never heard of it. There might be a company out there somewhere, but um, I think it's just amazing and, and unique, certainly, in, in the marketplace. Yeah, you might say it's unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that. That's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, Josh, we're coming to the twilight of our interview. Unfortunately, the time has gone so fast, oh, my friend. I know it has. Um, two last questions. Number one, um, any final advice? If you could tell tell our listeners, tell them something about business, about entrepreneurship, about going after it. Um, what advice would you give to a younger you? Oh, that's a tough question. Getting into business. I'd say to a younger me, I'd say, um, honestly, and this is a bit painful, but I think you got to take risks earlier. That's what I'd say to myself 10 years ago. Um, I think I was too careful at the beginning. And then as life went on, it became more difficult to take risks. Mm. And so I'd say take risks when it's easy to take risks. Um, because then I think you can get a head start. Take risks early. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm quoting you on it. Okay, do it. Yeah. All right. Justin, if you're listening, take risks early. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That might even go up as uh, as one of our memes for social media. Great. Love it. So Joshua David Best is going to be known for saying take risks early. <laughs> That's going to go my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> Just my. All right. Final question. Yeah. Um, looking back at everything you did and how you did it, if you could change anything, in your past and all growing up and everything else, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Or would you leave it all the same? If I could change one thing, what would it be? Or would I leave it all the same? It's going to come right back down to that quote. I think I, I have, I've done a few different ventures in my past, but I, I never went all in on them. And so I think I would give more to them sooner and, and and just trust God that he was going to make it work out. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Josh, thanks, brother. All right. Thank you, man. Man, I had so much fun with Josh. That was, 
that that was really really cool. So I actually got to I don't, I don't think I said it in the open. I got to drive out to his office uh, out in Zeeland, which is uh, next to Holland, Michigan. So it's a short a short drive to Lake Michigan, and I get to just sit out in uh, in the unprecedented press's offices and catch up with an old friend. And the funny thing is too, you know, it's really rare. You probably have people in your life like this, I'll bet. It's very rare that you know someone that well, but you really sit down and get a chance to like find out their story and, and really ask them questions long form. I have some of my best friends in the world that I probably I don't know their favorite color and I don't know um, you know what how old they were when they moved or when they went to college or whatever happened. So it was nice to, to connect with Josh. Um, and also, we got some really good insights. I loved uh, at the very end, if you listened all the way through, you would have heard this. He said, usually when I ask somebody, if you could change one thing, what would it be? I always give them the out. I always say, or would you leave it all the same? Nine times out of ten, people say, I left it all the same because otherwise I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be where I am. I like Josh's answer. He said, I would have taken risks more early. I tell myself to take risks early. And I think... That's the the parting wisdom I really want you to pull from that interview is is exactly that. You know, keep moving forward. Take risks early where you can still absorb the potential consequence if it goes bad and of course the upside if it goes good. But get out there and keep crushing it. Do your entrepreneurial journey. Um, I'm excited to continue this together with you. Every week as per usual, I'm going to be bringing you nuggets of wisdom and ideas and, and, and thoughts you can apply on a Tuesday. And then on a Friday, we'll be doing an interview with a really great entrepreneur. I have a couple of really phenomenal interviews that are in the bag that I've been kind of holding and, and waiting to, to get out at any point. So over the next few weeks, we're going to trickle out some really powerful interviews with some creators, some innovators, some entrepreneurs. Uh, super excited about that. What's coming up next? If you listen to this on Friday, it might be a little too late or it might be just in time. If you're in the Midwest, uh, we are doing a one-day event called Splash. That's coming up on Saturday, August 25th. That is in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Point Church. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes. You can click there. Admission is free. Uh, it's all day. I think it's 930 to 4. Um, I'm heading up the, the keynote. I'm doing three sessions out of six. And then we have three separate speakers. One of them is Josh, who you just heard from. And then we also have Taylor Blom and his wife, Brittany Blom, uh, who both have an entrepreneurial journey uh, in their own right. So that's coming up for the rest of August. And after that, I'm taking taking the month off, taking a whole week off. And there is a bunch more coming in September. So uh, next week, I'll hit you with some more dates and things you can be a part of if you're in the area, if you want to come out and visit, uh, whether it's a, a TV or a book signing or a live event. Uh, there's a lot going on. So keep in touch. If you haven't already, one last ask, if you don't mind, head over to iTunes. Feel free to rate, review, and make sure you subscribe. Subscription is free. It's free. Do you know Larry? Is that Larry? Yeah, the, the sit and sleep dude. <laughs> well, if you're in California, you definitely heard sit and sleep. Um, but subscription's free. Just And it goes down to the device of your choosing. So it goes to your phone, your, your tablet, your computer, whatever you want to listen to. It's all for you. Uh, of course, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. You can get this. Very soon, we'll be putting them back up onto uh, our Facebook page, onto our YouTube page. They're up there as well. You can follow me at social media, at Matt Browning. You can follow me at YouTube, at Matt Browning, or, or YouTube.com slash Matt Browning. Um, it's all in there. It's all for you. Keep on. I'm going to keep on putting in content free of charge uh, just for you. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. Get out there and keep crushing it. I'll see you soon.